All right. Um, good evening and apologies for uh, no countdown tonight. Um, we are, uh, anyway, it's my fault I got sidetracked in a conversation. It was an important conversation before uh, class and time got away from me. So some of the folks in the room were like, are we having class tonight, Pastor Mark? And I'm like, hello. So anyway, God is good. And um, I'm excited about the things that we're going to be getting into uh, this evening. I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about um, unknown tongues and um, how could we ever do a thorough uh, teaching on the power of the tongue without talking about unknown tongues. And then we're going to get into spirit, soul, and body, and spirit, soul, and body will carry us through to the end, um, class 33 of 36. So anyway, let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. We thank you for your hand upon our lives. We thank you for the things that you're doing for us, in us, with us, through us. Lord, I thank you that your wisdom, Father, has been made available to us. And Lord, I thank you for those who are in the room, those who are joining us online, Father, that are pursuing uh, your wisdom, Lord, who, who want to know what you think about things, what you have to say about things, Father. We've lived by our own thoughts and opinions long enough, Lord. We, we thank you for yours and for helping us see and understand these things more clearly. And we pray, Father, for your wisdom and your anointing uh, upon us now as we journey into your word in a deeper way. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So um, let's, uh, let's kind of do a little bit of review. We talked last week about the power of the tongue and how James said that the tongue itself was an unruly evil, no man could tame it, and it was set on fire with the fires of hell. And in the course of our study last week and even some of the week before that, we went through, and I'm not going to go back over these things, but we went through 14 things the Bible says about the power of the tongue. Everything from death and life hinges on the words that we speak, um, blessing and cursing, the course our life follows is determined by the words we speak, on and on and on and on. So when we talk about and, and understand more about the importance of our words, I think it probably makes sense that the Holy Spirit that Jesus identified as our helper um, would like to help us with our words. And does that make sense? In other words, if words are powerful and important, and they are, and if words have so much to do with the quality of life and condition of life that we experience and enjoy, then um, we, we need some help uh, with um, our words. And so let's begin tonight in John chapter 14, and we'll begin at verse number 16. I put it up on the screen. John 14, 16, and 17, Jesus speaking. He says, And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. And the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Okay? So Jesus is talking to His disciples, and He's talking about this uh, other helper who's going to come. And another implies more than one, right? I mean, if it's another person, uh, then there's got to be uh, more than one. And so the, uh, the other helper is the Holy Spirit. The first helper is Jesus. And we see now, of course, that Jesus is in heaven, according to 1 John, and He is our helper, our advocate there. The Holy Spirit is with us and in us here on the earth, and He is our helper and our advocate here. So we have not one, but count them two helpers. We have not one, but two, count them advocates. An advocate, think of like an attorney in an earthly sense. Um, an attorney 
is someone who represents you, who helps you, who advocates for your cause uh, in a court of law. Well, uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and Jesus, we see that they are advocating for us. Uh, Jesus advocating for us in heaven, Holy Spirit advocating for us here upon the earth. And so Jesus says he's going to pray to the Father who'll give us this uh, other helper. And of course, we know Jesus's prayers are sometimes answered. Always answered, okay, all right. So um, let's go now to John 16 and 7. John 16 and 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, I, I left out a couple of things, and I'm, I don't want to rush through this because it's, it's extremely important. Um, but there's just a lot of stuff that I'm hoping we have time to cover tonight. So I might need to just take a deep breath uh, and slow down for just a second, okay? In the first passage we looked at in John 14, a few things that I want you to see. So let me put it back up on the screen, all right? And, and what we see here is that notice how long Jesus said the Holy Spirit helper would abide with us. It says forever, right? Uh, in another place we see where Jesus says that he will be in you, and when he comes to live in you, he will live in you forever. Okay, So forever means he's not going anywhere. I was told incorrectly when I was younger in church that uh, the Holy Spirit was in you unless you committed a sin, and then he left you. And my friend, that is, that is absolutely not the case at all. As a matter of fact, a lot of what the, Holy, a lot of what the Word of God teaches us about that is that when we sin with the Holy Spirit in us is that it grieves Him, that it grieves Him, okay? So let's, let's uh, make sure we point these things out. And there's some wording here that I want to make sure you understand. When Jesus says to His disciples in the moment that He said this, He said, you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. We know that He was with them at that point, but it would only be after they were born again that He would be able to dwell in them. So with them, but in them. So for you and me, now on this side of the cross, He's not just with us, He is also in us. Now, let's go to, uh, back to John 16 and 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. So pay, pay attention to that word advantage, okay? That word advantage, a lot of key words in this passage, but the word advantage is, uh, is an, an extremely important word because Jesus is talking about giving you, giving me an advantage, okay? So, you know, obviously we need every advantage we can get, okay? So uh, for those of you online wondering what's going on in the room, we just uh, had some folks join us. And uh, guys, you're, you're a little late, but, but you're not the only one. I was late tonight. I, <laughs> I was here. I just didn't start uh, on time. So uh, come on in, guys. Great to see you um, this evening. Praise God. All right, so we're in um, uh, John 16 and 7. We looked at John 14 uh, first. And uh, in John 14, we see where Jesus is praying for another helper to come help us and that he would abide with us forever. And then he said that the world cannot receive him. Okay, uh, Only those who have been born again can receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in John 16 and 7, so this is the next uh, passage that we've turned to as we've gotten rolling, rolling this evening. 
Um, Jesus is trying to tell his disciples that he's leaving them. Okay? And there's no easy way to do this. And Jesus has been trying to do this for some time. Uh, you know, he is in one way or the other, if you read the Gospels carefully, uh, been explaining to them that his ultimate destiny is to die for them. And he tells them in no uncertain terms that he's going to die. And, and, but he'll also be raised from the dead on the third day. This sailed clean over their heads. I mean, they, you know, it, it's like they never heard him say it, even though he said it early and often. And so now he's trying to explain to them that he's going to leave them and that it's actually going to be in their best interest. Now, this is the part that you've got to get a hold of because it still applies to you and me. I hear people, and to be honest with you, I've thought it myself, you know, how cool it would be if Jesus was still here with us in the flesh. But keep in mind, Jesus is saying to, these, to this group of men, he's like, look, I'm right here with you right now in the flesh, and I'm going to leave you, and you're going to be in a better position with me gone from you than me right here present with you. And I'm sure they're sitting there scratching their heads going, no, nah, Jesus, I don't think so. You know, I, I think we're better off with you right here with us. But as long as Jesus was right there with them in the flesh... He could not be in them. He could only be with them. But if Jesus goes to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit to the earth, the Holy Spirit can not only be with us, but He can now be in us. And Jesus said it is to our advantage for Him to be in heaven advocating for us there and helping us there, and the Holy Spirit to be upon the earth and in us helping us and advocating for us here. So if Jesus says it's to your advantage that He goes away, so that he can send the Holy Spirit, the helper, to you, okay? Jesus knows what he's talking about. Amen? Amen. In other words, Jesus isn't confused about this. It may not seem right to us. It may not, you know, feel like that's right, but it's right. Okay, now, how many of you would agree with this? And, I, and this is where we were, guys, when you came in. How many of you would agree that we need every advantage in this life that we can get? Okay, we, we need everything that's going for us to go for us. Everything that's, that's available to help us, we, we need to take full advantage of these things to help us. Okay, so the first thing that I want you to understand about the Holy Spirit is that He is a helper. Okay, He has come alongside you to help you, and He just so happens to be the, uh, a, a third member of the Trinity. In other words, the Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father and as God, as God Jesus, as God the Son. Okay, So He is God in spirit form who has come to dwell in you forever and to provide an advantage for you uh, in, in the life that God created you to live, the destiny that He created you to fulfill, um, that, that we cannot replace... Uh, in any other way. So he's referred to as Holy Spirit. He's referred to as comforter. He's referred to as helper. And the Greek word for this, uh, this word helper, comforter, is the word paraclete, okay? P-A-R-A-C-L-E-T-E, -E, paraclete. And I apologize, I don't have a slide with this word uh, on it. But it literally means another one just like Jesus called alongside to help you. Another one just like Jesus called alongside to help you. Now, Jesus came to do, so don't forget that advantage. If it's, if it's available to us, we want to take advantage of it. We want to make the most of it. We don't want to leave anything on the table, so to speak. In other words, if, if God has provided an advantage for us, then it's in our best interest. If he, if he thought it necessary, are you following what I'm saying? If God is like, you know what, they're going to need some help. They're going to need help in heaven, and they're going to need help on the earth. And, and so if, if Father thought it necessary and important that we have the advantage of the Holy Spirit living in and through our lives, then it's our responsibility 
to take advantage of that advantage. In other words, to make the most of the advantage, capital A, Holy Spirit, that He has given to us. Now, Jesus came to do two very, very important things for you. We cannot lose sight of this, all right? He came to do two very important things for you. Not one, two very important things for you. And the first thing that Jesus came to do for you is He came to take away your sin, okay? Not just cover it up, not just sweep it under the rug, not just, uh, you know, even, even obviously a part of Him taking away your sin is cleansing you of your sin. But Jesus came to do more even than cleanse you uh, from your sin. He came to remove it, not in part, but in its entirety, okay? One sacrifice for all sin for all time. In the days ahead, in the classes ahead, we're going we're gonna to explain that in greater detail from the Scriptures, okay? But let me go ahead and, and give you this little uh, tidbit first, okay? And, and we'll talk about it. See, people have a hard time figuring out how Jesus could forgive them for sin that they haven't committed yet, right? How, how, can, how can Jesus forgive me for, for future sin, okay? But remember, when Jesus paid the price for your sin and for my sin, all of our sin was future sin. I wasn't even alive yet to commit a sin when He paid the price for my sin, not in part, but in whole, in its entirety. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. Okay? So Jesus came to take it away. Literally take it out of the picture so that it will never be remembered against you, never be held against you ever again. Okay? And that is nothing but straight up good news. But according to the greatest prophet born of a woman, who is John the Baptist, Jesus came to do two very important things for you. The first one is He came to take away your sin. And the second one is He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked last week about those who had been baptized with the baptism of Moses. And we said then that baptism doesn't mean, or let me say it this way, doesn't only mean what a lot of people think it means in the sense that most people think of baptism as the ceremony where a man or a woman is immersed underwater and then brought back up from the water. So we think in terms of water baptism when we think in terms of baptism. But baptism is actually a ceremony of identification. Children were given their name at baptism. And so when it says they were baptized with Moses' baptism, it doesn't mean Moses was sitting there like baptizing everybody in the Red Sea as they came through the parted waters. It means that they experienced something in following Moses in that generation that God brought out of Egypt supernaturally that impacted them and identified them, or we could even say it this way, marked them for life. So when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a, a, a total immersion. We're, we're talking about um, Jesus so marking your life with the Holy Spirit that it forever alters your life from that point forward. Okay? And so this, again, is the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be uh, immersed in, to be so filled and flooded with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you as a born-again believer, literally flows forth from you, okay? And again, we could, we could spend literally, I'm not exaggerating this, we could spend the remaining classes that we have right now, 33 through 36, and not cover this 
uh, exhaustively all that the Bible has to say about it. Jesus, for example, said when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, he will be like rivers of living water. Okay, what do you know about a river? It flows, right? A river is not a pond. A pond is, is a reservoir. It's a pool of water. A river is flowing water. Jesus said he would be fountains of living water springing up inside of you. Okay, so when you go to a faucet and open that faucet, that water flows out because the, the reservoir, if you will, I'm, I'm, I know I'm, it, it's, at a, it's at a higher altitude than your faucet. And, and in some cases, some rare instances, that water has to be pumped under pressure so the flow out of that. That's why water towers are, are high, right? They're, they're up high. My mom and dad uh, live at the bottom of, uh, of, uh, of Shades Crest Mountain um, and with a lake, you know, but at the top of the hill and down the road a little bit, there's a water tower. And, and so that water is under pressure is the point I'm trying to make. That's why it comes out of the spigot. And so the Holy Spirit who's inside of you, he's in you, but he's also there under pressure. In other words, he's wanting to flow up out of you like a fountain that springs up. So Jesus came to do two very important things for you. He came to take away your sin. He came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Okay, now let's go, and I know I'm kind of moving fast here, but we'll, we'll pause in a moment and make some points. But let's go now to Acts chapter 1 in verse number 4. And we're going to look at um, uh, Acts 4, Acts 1, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Okay, so it says this, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is what Jesus told them. And, and now notice, he is referring to the promise of the Father. So when you read the Scriptures, you see that the Scriptures refer to this promise of the Father, promise of the Father, promise of the Father. Jesus forever connected what the promise of the Father is, okay? And the promise of the Father is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that they would be baptized in uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, let's go there now, in verse number 1. Um, so... We'll, we'll connect some things with all this. I just want to put some verses out there, and then we'll come back and, and tie some uh, things together. But Acts chapter 2, verse number 1 and 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost um, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay? So, what's happening here? Jesus told them, guys, before you do anything else... You need to go to Jerusalem. You need to go to Jerusalem, and you need to and you need to wait, okay, for the outpouring for the promise of the Father, which we know now is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church, okay. 
and they waited. Now, a lot of people get confused by this, and they think, well, that just because they waited, we have to wait. No, they had to wait for the day of Pentecost to fully come. Now, let's do some math, and it's easy math, okay? Jesus was crucified on Passover. Passover, if you recall, was originated back when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And they killed uh, the, uh, the lamb, and they put the blood on the doorpost of their house. They ate the meal in haste, okay? So Jesus celebrated Passover. When we partake of the Lord's Supper or communion, we are also, that's, that is uh, uh, remnants of that Passover meal. And so they ate unleavened bread because they ate it in haste. Because why? They're out of here, Jack. We're on, we're, we're, God's carrying us out of slavery into, the, into our promised land. And so they, don't want, they, they, ate it, they ate unleavened bread because they weren't going to wait for the, put yeast in it and wait for the bread to rise. And, and they also drank uh, yeast because the, the leaven represents corruption. Yeast represents corruption. So yeast in the grape juice creates alcohol, corruption. Yeast in the bread, as, the, as it creates the bubbles, it causes the bread to rise. Okay, it represents corruption. So the, the grape juice is without leaven. It's, it's no alcohol in it. The bread is without leaven. There's no yeast in it. It's why it's like just a little thin wafer, okay? And they didn't sit down. They ate it in haste. Now, long, lots of parallels there, okay? So Jesus celebrated Passover on the night that he was betrayed into the hands of, of angry sinners, all right? Pentecost. Pente means 50, okay? So 50 days from the Feast of Passover was the Feast of Pentecost, so Jesus appears uh, to them um, over a period of time, and then he tells them to go wait in the upper room for the day of Pentecost. So he was crucified on Passover. He was raised from the dead three days later. And then on this great day of the feast, the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on the church. Okay? This is why people who believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and speaking in unknown tongues are referred to as Pentecostals, okay? It's because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. Everybody still with me? Amen. Amen. All right, so these folks um, give the appearance of being intoxicated. And, um, and literally, um, the Holy Spirit will have that effect upon you. When he is, he is moving and flowing, and, 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 and we see even like in places in the Scriptures where the presence of God and, and, and the Holy Spirit will be so powerfully upon a person that they'll no longer be able to even stand. Okay, and sometimes that's referred to as being slain in the Spirit, right? And um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of faking where that's concerned, but please hear me. If you have any trust or confidence in me whatsoever, that's a real thing. Okay, and it's available for people today. The power of God comes so strongly, the Holy Spirit of God comes so strongly upon a man or woman that they can no longer stand to, to minister. Yes? Not that that's not enough, but have, have you ever experienced it? Oh, absolutely, yes. Multiple times. Multiple times. Um, have, have I talked? I talked about Jesse Duplantis in here, and, and yeah, when I was. Told me to speak to him. I mean, watch him. I, I watched him. All right. So, but I told you, did I tell you the story about me in college that day reading my Bible after the exam? I did, didn't I? I told somebody that story recently, so I apologize. All right, so um, two-hour classes in those days at UAB, usually we would have an exam at the beginning of a class, and the professor let us go. But this particular day, we had an exam. The professor said, if you finish your exam, sit quietly in your chair. We're going to have class after the exam, which is a rare thing. So I finished my exam, turned it in. I kept a paperback New Testament in my, bio, in my uh, book bag. I pulled it out, 
And I'm reading in John 15 where God's talking about bearing fruit and your fruit remaining. Okay, I know I was telling I was telling this story to um, <clears throat> my missionary friend that I met with on Thursday of last week. Shout out to Rick Johnson if he's watching tonight. Anyway, and so um, you know how you have those moments, you know, where just the Holy Spirit just anyway. I'm right there, like in class, and I'm reading that, and I'm having a moment with the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, I'm wiping tears, and and part of that is because I, I wasn't really settled in being at UAB. I knew the Lord had had instructed me to go there. I wanted to be in a Bible college somewhere. I, I wanted, I knew I was called into ministry. I felt like I was wasting my time. I was just, I was struggling. Okay. And, and I'm sitting there reading that. And I'm like, Lord, this is what I want to do. I don't want to be doing what I'm doing right now. I want to be bearing fruit for you. And the, and the one phrase in that whole statement was that Father's glorified by much fruit and by fruit that remains. Okay, by fruit that remains. All right. So in other words, something that, that, that is, a, is a legacy. Okay. And I, listen to me. I'm not, I'm not bragging by this. Uh, don't misunderstand me. But, but the Lord has allowed me to bear fruit for him that remains. And what I mean by that, among other things, is people that are still living for Jesus all these years later. But also, there are a lot of pastors who came, even some came to this church the first time uh, struggling with addiction that are pastoring churches now, uh, is what God has done in their life. And so that's, that's fruit that's producing more fruit. Remember, the ultimate legacy of a tree is not to produce fruit. The ultimate legacy of a tree is to produce more trees. Yeah, that's fruit that remains, right? Because now you got you got more trees producing more fruit. Okay, all right. So I'm like, I'm just like thinking, you know, I'm disturbing people and I'm, I'm like trying to control myself and it's a very powerful thing. So later that evening, I was in a meeting with Jesse Duplantis and he is preaching and ministering and he's walking like he does if you've ever seen him. And so he came to the row that I was sitting on and he looked down that row and he says, uh, young man, come here. And I'm like, and he's like, yeah, you, you come. Okay, so I come out, and he put the mic behind his back, and he talked to me about some things concerning faith, and I needed to be more bold, and I needed you know, some corrective things, and I received it, and I still think about it to this day. And then, and I don't, obviously I'm taller than a lot of people. I don't feel tall until I see myself in a photograph with my wife, and she hits me about right here, and I'm going, goodness, I'm tall. You know, but anyway. But I, Brother Jesse is not the tallest man God ever uh, created, but that doesn't matter. He's still a very powerful man. But anyway, so he reaches up to put his hand on my chest, and his hand gets about this close to my chest, and he, he pulls his hand back for a minute, and he says, look at me. And he says these words to me. He says, the Lord told me to tell you that you will bear fruit, and your fruit will remain. Yeah, man. It's like, well, I got chill bumps right now. And then he just touched me on the chest, and it was like somebody hit me in the head with a hammer, you know. But didn't hurt at all, you know. It wasn't it, no pain in it. Was didn't even feel myself hit the ground. Okay, all right. So and I could go on and, and on and on with that. So yes, sir, and and yes, and amen. Praise God. All right. So they were all filled with the Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice who's speaking here. They're speaking. Who's giving them the words to speak? The Holy Spirit. So this is symbolic in so many ways because it represents the cooperative effort that Father God. Uh, wants involving you. And we started talking about this in class one. 
It's, it's that God is wanting to, to not just do something for you. He's wanting to do something in you. He's wanting to do something with you. And ultimately, He's wanting to do something through you. Anything that God does in your life, He wants to use you to see that same thing happen in the life of somebody else. And so now we see this oneness with God that Jesus talked about, where the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of these people. Now He's flowing through these people. And one of the fundamental ways that He's working and flowing through them is that they are speaking words that He is giving them to speak that they do not know language that they do not understand, okay? But the Holy Spirit is giving them those words and enabling them uh, to speak it. Now, I point this out because one of the hang-ups that a lot of people have when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in a known tongue is that they're waiting for the Holy Spirit just to take their tongue and start speaking. It doesn't work that way. So notice there's even an element of faith involved in this. When the Holy Spirit begins to rise up in you, you have to begin to speak words that you don't know. That don't, that don't make sense to you, or maybe in the, in the moment anyway. Um, and, and you begin to speak that out uh, by faith and in faith. And so this is what's happening, all right? Now, the, there was a commotion. Uh, obviously, Jerusalem was crowded because of the, of the feast. And people there from a lot of different uh, geographical areas and tongues and dialects and what have you, okay? And so people are like confused. They think these men and women are drunk early in the morning, and, and they're not, okay? And so they're asking questions. They're curious. And so here is um, the answer that's given uh, by Peter. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see, shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay. Now, um, I didn't get that last verse up there. Pardon me. All right. So, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is a very significant event because it, it marks the beginning of the last of the last days. He says, in the last days. And so we know we're in the last days because thousands of years ago, Joel prophesied that, um, that, that this would happen when we get towards the end or in the last days. And so because the Holy Spirit was poured out now, what, 2,000 years ago, um, we know that we are in the last of the last days, all right? This has not, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has not been available for every generation of human beings that lived on this planet. We got to understand this, man. We, we live in, in, in rarefi rarefied air, so to speak. We, we live in one of the most unique and special seasons. Remember we talked about that, that unique and special bracket of time, right? That has ever existed on planet Earth for human beings to live in. We live in the days of grace. We live in the days where the blood of Jesus has been poured out for all sin. We live in the days where the Holy Spirit is now available to live and dwell inside of a person and flow freely out from that person. So listen, and I'm skipping through some of this I mean, obviously, we noticed we went from 221 now to 238. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent 
and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord our God will call. Okay? So before I forget it, I'm going to come back to this. Before I forget it, though, let's, let me remind you, this is the same Peter before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit was ashamed to even admit he knew Jesus. This was the same Peter who was so intimidated that literally a little girl says, weren't you with Jesus? We just assumed she was threatening. I don't see what a, what a little girl, young lady, um, you know, teenager or, or younger, uh, I don't see what threat she would have presented to Peter, okay? Um, for all I know, she was a follower of Jesus and said, hey, yeah, I think I recognize you. You, you were there when my dad got healed. You know, something like that. Oh, no, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. You know, I'm talking about that Peter, right? Notice the marked difference between Peter before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and Peter after he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. What do we see? We see a boldness in him now that's coming from inside of him, a strength now that's coming from inside of him, a, a refusal to be intimidated that's coming from inside of him that he did not have. So you shall receive power, he said, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, the devil does not want God's people to have the fullness of God's power flowing in and through their lives. That makes you a threat to Him. So it's no wonder there is so much confusion about this second thing that Jesus came to do for you. He came, number one, to do what? Take away your sins. And then He came, number two, to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but let me go ahead and make this point as well, okay? I believe number one was necessary for number two. In other words, the only reason Jesus... I, that's not accurate. Forgive me, Holy Spirit. I'm getting too excited here. The, I, I, let me, you're, okay, thank you. This is how I need to say it. The only reason you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit is because Jesus took away your sins. Right? And, and so we view taking away or the forgiveness of sins as an end to itself. And that is not accurate. He took away your sins as a means to a greater end. Because He now made you a new creation, you're qualified to receive the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, here's a question, and I, and, and I know you probably have some questions. Just if you'll kind of hold tight, jot them down so you don't forget them. Um, we'll answer every question. If we have to answer them next week, we will. But I, I've taught on this subject for so long that I tend to anticipate questions before they're asked, okay? So let me, amen, all right? So here is, here is, um, here is one of the uh, more prominent questions that people have when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's the question of, didn't I receive the Holy Spirit when I was saved? And the answer is absolutely yes. You received the Holy Spirit when you were saved. Okay, now let me... Let me say this as well. And I usually have already said this by now, but let me say this as well. There is a tendency, and it's and it's the devil is behind it. There is a tendency for people to get very defensive when this subject is 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 approached, especially if you're watching or listening or in the room right now, 
and have not yet activated the baptism in the Holy Spirit in your life, okay? Um, and, and there's a tendency because the devil gets involved. Any, any, any feelings of inferiority, any feelings of insecurity, Satan's behind that, okay? And so there are people who uh, get defensive and they're like, well, he must not think I'm saved. Or he must think he's better than me because he speaks in tongues and I don't. And the Bible says everybody don't speak in tongues. See, just, now we start getting all defensive about it. And please don't do that. Please don't do that. The devil is trying to rob an advantage of you, uh, rob an advantage from you. He is trying to prevent you from ever experiencing the advantage of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he is a liar, okay? And so if we will take a deep breath, not get our guard up, not get all defensive, and let the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and speak it to your heart, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit the same way you receive salvation. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. And so when you hear what the Word of God has to say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it strengthens your faith concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit, enabling you to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit by faith. Okay? Now, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you are saved? Absolutely, positively, yes. You cannot be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is an appropriated work of the Holy Spirit. When I say appropriated, Jesus did the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit implements, appropriates what Jesus bought and paid for in the life of a man or a woman who calls upon him to be saved. Okay, So you can't call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you know, be careful talking about how brilliant you, you were in finding the Lord. My friend, He found you. You didn't find Him. Are you following what I'm saying here, right? And so... Absolutely, positively, yes. When a man or woman is born again, they receive the Holy Spirit. And when a man or woman is born again, they receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, at that point in their existence, will abide in them forever. Okay? That's why some of you, at very dark places and dark times in your life, you know, where a lot of people wouldn't think a child of God ought to be, you're there maybe even under the influence of other substances, and you're telling people about Him. It's because He ain't left you, He's with you. He's in you. And He ain't going anywhere. Okay? So, I want to show you in Scripture when the disciples got saved. Now, again, see, we don't really think of it like this, but when did the disciples get saved? You find it in John chapter 20 and verse 22. John 20 and 22 it says, and when he said this, Jesus said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, what has happened? Jesus has raised from the dead, and they're still uh, fearful that they're next on the cross, okay, that they're going to be executed as well. And so they're kind of hiding out, and Jesus just walks through a wall and appears in their midst. And they're obviously very shocked and surprised, all right? And he says, peace to them. He doesn't fuss at them. He doesn't tell them, bunch of cowards, why would you run? I told you, you didn't listen, knucklehead. No, he didn't chastise rebuke them. He says, peace be unto you, right? Fullness, wholeness be unto you. And then he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
This is when they were born again. What's got to happen for a man to be born again? That man or woman has to believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. They did that already. And that God the Father has raised him from the dead. You can't believe that and confess that until it happens unless you're Abraham and you were told about it before it ever happened and Abraham believed it because the gospel was preached to him before it all happened. He believed the gospel and it was accounted to him for righteousness sake before any of it ever happened. Okay? But in their case, in their case, Jesus is now raised from the dead. They already believed he was the son of God. Now they believe that God the Father has raised him from the dead. Amen? And he says, receive the Holy Spirit so they are born again. Why is this significant? They will not be baptized in the Holy Spirit for another 47 days. They're born again. The Holy Spirit is living inside of them. They've received the Holy Spirit, but they have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where we could spend another 30 or 40 minutes. I'm going to try not to do that. But if you read the book of Acts carefully, you see time and time again where people who had already been born again, some of them even born again and baptized in water that had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. A classic example of this is in Acts chapter 19. We have these folks referred to as the Ephesian disciples. This is a group of people who from Ephesus are followers of Jesus. They're believers in Jesus. And Paul asks them in verse number 2, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Okay. Now, they believed on Jesus. They've been born again. So obviously he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor Mark, how do we know this? They said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They go on to explain that they were baptized in water like with John's baptism. Okay. So... Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, So now these folks were like, all right, so we've repented, we've believed on Jesus, but we're, now they're going to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus. All right, And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. So notice now, these are believers in Jesus. So here are the technical terminologies. Now, the denomination you were raised in may not believe this, and you may have been taught different from this. The denomination I was raised in did not believe this, and I was taught different from this. As a matter of fact, the denomination that I was raised in went so far as to say that these things were not for today, and that if a man or a woman claimed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues today, that it was of the devil. Okay, That's how far we went, and we were threatened, basically, um, with, with that devilish lie, all right? Okay? So, but there are those who say that you receive all the Holy Spirit there is to receive when you are saved and that there is no need for uh, any kind of baptism, so to speak, in the Holy Spirit, all right? Well, let me, let me see if I can explain it to you this way, all right? And, and I, so important is that I put this on a slide the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It is about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. Okay? The Holy Spirit is not like a pecan pie that you get a piece of and then get a bigger piece of, right? 
And I understand, you know, people talk about more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of God, that sort of thing, okay? Well, if you want more of Him operating in your life, you've got to give Him more place in your life. You, it's, it, you, we're not waiting on Him. He's waiting on us. You, you follow what I'm saying here, okay? So the baptism in the Holy... And by the way, waiting, you know, people... Well, the Bible says wait on the Lord. It means expecting. Those who expect Jehovah pass to power. Waiting on the Lord means we're in expectation of Him. Faith, okay? So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. So what did we learn last week? I told you last week that you'll never understand the importance and power of prayer until you first understand the importance and power of just words in general, okay? And then we said you'll never understand the importance and power of praying in an unknown tongue, Okay, until you understand the importance and power of words in general. So we learned last week that our tongue is like a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on the underside of a ship. What comes out of your mouth in the form of words charts the course that your life follows. When you speak, it's like you're laying down railroad tracks a train doesn't enjoy the same freedom as a car. A car can kind of go, you know, wherever on the roadway. A car can even go off-road. Be careful with that, though, right? Not a train. A train is locked in on the tracks that are in front of it. And so when we speak, we're laying down tracks. That's what, remember I told you, you'll never have a different life if you keep saying what you've always said. And Father says you can have whatever you say, but we won't quit saying what we already have. Are you with me? But what's in the heart in abundance is what comes out of the mouth. So you can't just change for a few minutes what you say and expect your whole world to be revolutionized. You've got to get something different and better in your heart so that when the pressure's on, what comes out of your mouth, are you following what I'm saying, will be things that you want to eat on a plate tomorrow. Okay? And so I have a dear, dear friend who is growing tremendously in, in, in the things of God. And, and she recently explained to me a conversation that she had where she let emotions get the best of her, and she said some things that she wished she shouldn't have said. So you know what she did? She really quickly like asked the Lord to forgive her, and then she went and to the person that she said those things to and asked that person to forgive her. Amen? Because what is she rec she's realizing that, oh, man, I put some words out there. I don't want those words governing the direction of course of my life. I want the right words governing the course and direction of my life. Now listen, if, if you think that's a bunch of late-night infomercial uh, mumbo jumbo hogwash, then it, you know. Then speaking an unknown tongue may at best be a spiritual novelty to you, but when you understand that the plans and purposes of God, remember that verse we looked at again last week, God covering you with the shadow of His hand, God putting His words in your mouth. Hello, God putting His words in your mouth. So that he can use his words in your mouth, plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, say in design, you are my people. Okay? Now, I'm usually not a big fan of this statement, but in this case, it does apply. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay? If my mouth and the words that I speak are the rudder for my life, then please... Help me with my words. Please 
This is another part that I tried to do my diligence last week and explain to you, okay? But the answer has to be spoken. What, what does Father's words do? They create. Father's words create things. Father's words set things in motion. He said, let there be light. And there was a violent release of energy that can be marked with physics, okay? And people call it the, the Big Bang. It wasn't the Big Bang. It was God releasing the energy that keeps this 67,000 mile an hour traveling through space dirt clod we're on on a, on a 200 mile wristwatch in perfect sync. 200 million mile wide wristwatch in perfect synchronization. Okay, that, that's, that's the power of his words. And so there are all kinds of things in our lives, answers that we need, breakthroughs that we're desperate for, um, you know, things to be changed and reversed and whatever. You, you, God marvels that there's no intercessor, that there's no one on earth cooperating with him, in agreement with him, binding and loosing, allowing and rejecting, stopping and starting, all of this through this mechanism of speaking and words. So the answer has to be spoken. My brother has an amazing testimony in all this, and I'm not, I'm not going to go into, into the whole detail, but he was very dissatisfied in, in the job that he was in. He, he had a lot of responsibility, and, um, and it was upper management, really. Um, I mean, to give you some idea, um, my brother was in a, in a, uh, in a pipe mill, uh, he was the systems engineer for a, a huge uh, pipe manufacturing uh, organization. And, um, and they hired a man to be his boss that had never worked in a factory. He, he had restaurant management experience. I'm not knocking that. I've got restaurant management experience. But it just so happened to be the last restaurant that he managed went bankrupt. This man did not know a single thing about industrial factory work. Now, it's not that Matt didn't want the job. Matt, it wasn't that Matt wanted, my brother wanted the job, but, you know, it just created a very unpleasant working. A lot of people, you know, of course, Matt never spoke evil to the man, did everything he could to help him, you know, would, would do things over time to bail him out of the jam so he'd fly the thing in the side of a mountain and Matt would work to undo the mistakes that he made, so forth and so on, respected him and honored him. But Matt began to consider what, what job and so he began to pray he began to pray in an unknown tongue because he didn't know he didn't know what the lord would have for him to do next right and so uab got word that he was looking for a job and they wanted him i don't listen he's my brother and i'm i'm very blessed and, and honored to call him my brother but he's a genius i'm just telling you my brother's a genius and it, <laughs> You just see him up there singing and, you know, acting like Gomer Pyle sometimes, go all up, you know, and blowing that trumpet. You don't listen to me. Do, do not be deceived, okay? Uh, my brother has patents, okay, of things that he's invented in industrial pipe manufacturing, okay? He's brilliant, all right? But he, he didn't know what he wanted to do, so he began to pray in the unknown tongue. And what the Lord told him, he said, the answer, Matt, has to be spoken, You've got a situation in your life. You need an answer for it. It has to be spoken. How do you speak and answer when you don't know what the answer is? Advantage, unknown tongues. So he begins to pray in unknown tongues. Are you ready for this? UAB wanted my brother to go work for them so, so much that they literally 
had to have a position created for him in Montgomery by, by legislation, okay? Um, and they brought him in to do the energy management for the entire UAB campus and the hospital system, okay? And so anyway, praise God. I, I, I don't mean to talk so much about myself or my brother, but I'm just telling you, you say, well, how, how did all that happen? You need to let him tell you the story sometime, okay? But he, he is in his beautiful, wealthy play, a promised land, right? Doing something he loves, doing, you know, um, and blessed, 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 blessed. And he continues to bless other folks in the process. So your tongue is a rudder. Your tongue is a rudder. The answer has to be spoken. Let me show you this in Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 26 and 27, okay? Um, it says this, Likewise, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. If you've ever read this in the King James Version, it says, it says helps. Remember, he's a helper, right? A helper, right? We covered that already, amen? Am I lulling you all to sleep? Okay, so he helps in our weaknesses, our infirmities is what the King James Version says. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself, come on now, the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, okay? Words which cannot be expressed in articulate speech. Words which cannot be expressed in articulate speech. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now let me tell you what I think I know about you men and women in this room and those watching me online right now. Let me tell you what I think I know. Let me tell you what I am confident of, okay? I am confident that you want the will of God for your life no matter what it is where it's going to lead you, you realize that it's, you, know, you don't want the devil's will and you don't want your will, you want his will. You want, I want what God wants for my life and for my family. He will do to trust. He only wants good for you. Every word he's ever spoken about you, every word he's ever said over you, every commandment he's ever given to you has been with your best interest in mind. He's trying to prosper you. He's trying to help you. If you know how to give good things to your children, how much more does our Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to us? One version of that says, how much more will our Father give the Holy Spirit to us? Okay? So we see now that if our heart is, I want the will of God for my life. I want what God wants for my life. I want what God wants for my family. I want what God wants... Period, okay? So now it becomes a matter of, okay, so what does he want? <laughs> where, where do I go next? What's next? What, what, choice do, what choice do I need to make? I've got three options, and, and maybe it's one that I don't even know, right? So we need to know the will of God. The answer has to be spoken. It has to be put into place with the words that you speak. What if you don't know what words to speak? Aha, the Holy Spirit knows the plan. The Holy Spirit knows the will. How does He know it? Father wrote it all down in a book before you ever lived a single day of your life. He knows the mind of God. He knows the will of God for your life. He knows how to get you from where you are right now back on the pathway that God had originally intended for you to be on this whole time. He knows shortcuts how to get you there, and He knows how to make up for years that you wasted on a wrong path. My, my Jesus. Okay? So... 
weaknesses, infirmities. Certainly we could say, you know, weaknesses in our flesh and weaknesses in areas of sin. He'll absolutely help you with that. This word means more than that. It means our inability to get results. You ever been in a place where you need results, you don't know how to get them? You need answers, you don't know how to get them? You know you've got to choose, you've got to make a decision, but you don't know which choice to make? Okay. We need help. We need God's help. Let me tell you what a lot of people do. They whine, they complain, they moan, they gripe. And never take advantage, never even understand, right? You're asking God to do something for you, and He's like, I have given you my Holy Spirit to help you with this, okay? So we don't know what to pray for as we ought. This is a very important connection that you need to make once again. you got a problem, and you need an answer. You've got a situation where you need results, okay? But you don't know how to get the results. Notice in order to get the results you need, you've got to pray the right prayer to get them. So the way you get the result is to pray the prayer that you ought to pray, to pray the prayer that needs to be prayed, to speak the words that need to be spoken. But we don't know what words to speak. So are we just stuck and, and we just start trial and error and see what might happen, see what might work? Absolutely not. We've done that before. And that's not how we were created or designed by God to live. So what do we do? We let the Holy Spirit help us pray with words that we haven't learned, that we do not know, and cannot speak in a known language that someone else would hear us and understand, with groanings which cannot be spoken in articulate speech. Why? Because he who searches the hearts, he searches your heart, but he also knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Why? Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So let me tell you what the advantage of the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings to a man or a woman's life. You can get born again five minutes later, five seconds later, get baptized in the Holy Spirit pray in an unknown tongue, and pray a prayer in perfect agreement with the will of God for your life and not even know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in the written Word of God. Not even know a single Bible verse. But the Holy Spirit will pray a prayer through you that is perfectly in alignment with the will of God for your life or for your family. Listen, there are times, and I'm not trying to weird you out, but there are times, see, when you say, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm presenting myself to you now as an intercessor, and I'm giving you and inviting you alongside me now to pray in an unknown tongue and intercede. I know in my heart of hearts that there are times when the Holy Spirit has had me interceding for people half a world away that I don't know. But somebody is in an urgent situation and needs prayer, Right? And, and so the Holy Spirit, remember, God's looking to and fro on the earth. Who will pray? Marvels, wonders that there's nobody on the earth who will bridge the gap between what's happening on the earth and, and what needs to take place in heaven for things to change on the earth. And so you be praying and interceding. It's not always for yourself. It's not always about your own life. Sometimes He'll use you to pray for people you don't even know, never will meet. Remember, things are better when we pray and they're not when we don't. And there are times when I'll, I'll go through you know, periods of interceding like that in the Holy Spirit and, and He'll just like you know, confirm in my heart that somebody somewhere on planet Earth is going to have a better day today Amen. because somebody was willing to, to spend some time interceding in an unknown prayer language. All right, so getting results requires speaking the right words, praying the correct prayer. 
the Holy Spirit praying through you, making intercession according to the will of God. Would somebody please say, wow, what an advantage. See, this is an advantage. All right? Now, anticipating the question, um, but wait a second, Pastor Mark, I thought we needed an interpreter. Okay, I thought we needed an interpreter. So, the Scriptures reveal to us three different and distinct uses for the one gift of unknown tongues. One gift, or if I may, one tool. Three distinct uses for the one tool. Remember, words are important, right? Okay. So I use this simple example. Someone could give you a hammer as a gift, okay? And we often think of that hammer as the thing we use to drive a nail. But you can do more with a hammer than drive a nail. You can turn that hammer backwards and pull a nail out. You can use that hammer um, to, uh, to knock a, a you know, piece of wood that's in a, out of alignment. You can tap it over and get it into alignment. You can use that hammer to knock a hole in the wall to, to, to find a, a plumbing pipe that's leaking. So the point I'm trying to make is it's one tool, one instrument, but there's multiple ways to use that tool, okay? So the three different and distinct uses for the gift of unknown tongues is, um, so here we go, Let's you, I'll put them up on the screen for you. Y'all still with me up in here? All right, so three different uses for the gift of unknown tongues, all right? So the first one is speaking a language you do not know, but others do. Speaking a language you do not know, but others do. Okay, so this is what happened on the day of Pentecost. Those men and women came out and all the different uh, people, uh, languages that were represented there for the Feast of Pentecost. The Bible says each one of them heard in their own native language men and women unlearned. They, they didn't know these languages. Declaring, anybody know what they were declaring? The wonderful works of God. Right? So now you've got, um, you've got all these different uh, languages and dialects, and every one of them are hearing someone speak a language they've never learned. You know, it wasn't like the 40 days they were, you know, waiting for the Holy Spirit that they got Rosetta Stone or something and learned. No, no. They, they, they are speaking languages supernaturally by the Holy Spirit that they do not know. Let me, let me, let me start right here because some people's, and the devil will do this to you, okay? You start speaking an unknown tongue and he'll say, he'll say, that don't, that don't sound like no language. Have you ever listened to somebody speak Chinese? That don't sound like no language. Now, we're, perhaps Spanish would be the one that we're most accustomed to because we hear it more and we know certain words in Spanish. Um, hola, adios, um, that, you know, these kinds of, you, you know what I'm saying, civil play, of course, it's French, you know, th these kinds of things, right? Um, what now? Okay, bonjour. Okay, so anyway, um, so there's certain, you know, parts of, of, of language and stuff that we know, but like one that you know nothing, right? I mean, it just sounds like jibber-jabber. And that's what the devil will tell you. You start picking it on a tongue, he's like, that sounds like jibber-jabber. No, see, he's, he's just trying to back you down. Don't, don't listen to him. He's a liar, okay? All right. So number one of the three different distinct uses for the gift of unknown tongues, speaking a language you do not know but others do. Number two, 
speaking in an unknown language to deliver a public message um, from the God, from God to others. Okay, so pardon that typo there. Uh, to deliver a public message from God to others. Now, this is the one that requires an interpreter. And we see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, where the gifts of the Spirit are referred to there and instructions concerning their operation. This is what you've got to understand. That's talking about the operation of these gifts in a public setting, in a public worship service. Again, we could spend hours on this. I'm not going to try to break all this down. I mean, you certainly can study it out for yourself. Um, but, you know, like the verse that says, do all speak with tongues. The context of that is, do all speak with tongues in a public setting at one time? And the answer is no. He, he told them specifically to not do that. But Paul is, he goes on to say, I am, I am not telling you to stop speaking in tongues. On the contrary, he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. So you've got a large church that's gone unknown tongues uh, unhinged. I mean, they're, they're like coming together and just everybody's speaking in unknown tongues and nobody knows what anybody's saying. And Paul says, if you think you speak in unknown tongues, I do more than all of you put together. But in a public setting, if I speak in an unknown tongue, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit has prompted me to do so. And he's wanting to say something to the entire group that will then be interpreted so the whole group can have the understanding. Okay? That's speaking in an unknown language to deliver a public message from God to others. You still with me? All right. So now we're coming to number three. Number three is praying in an unknown tongue privately to God. And this, my brother and sister, is for every born again believer to pray in an unknown tongue privately to God. Okay. Some folks refer to this as your prayer language. And that's what we were looking at in Romans 8, where the Holy Spirit helps you pray. Let's, let's talk about it for a minute. Is God a respecter of persons? Yes. Okay. Would he give? No, God's not a respecter of persons. Okay. No. All right. So I'm sorry. I thought you were kidding me. All right. So no, God's not a respecter of persons. So um, would, would he make uh, something available, uh, an advantage available to Donald that he doesn't make available to everybody else? No, right? Now remember, he loves everybody the same, but, but, but God honors those who honor him. And so some people are honored more um, by God than other folks, okay? But again, remember Cain and Abel is a classic example of this. God honored Abel. He didn't honor Cain, but he told him, if you just do what you know to do, you'll be accepted. It wasn't that God was playing favorites. It's just that he could bless Abel because of the attitude of Abel's heart. He couldn't honor and bless Cain because of the attitude of Cain's heart. Okay? So when Jesus said, look, guys, it's, it's going to be to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, you know, the Comforter, he can't come and, and, be, and become this advantage in your life. But listen now, there's 12 of you here. Probably only eight of you, you know, will ever be given this advantage. I don't know. It's just, it's, I don't understand why Father does it that way. But no, see, it's, it's for everybody. It's, it's for who? It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for those who are afar off. And it's for as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's what, that's what the Apostle Peter said on the day of Pentecost concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
He says, he's like, look, guys, I, don't get any ideas. Don't try this at home. This is just for us, select group of apostles. That's not what he said. He said, it's for us, but it's the same gifts available to you. It's, it's available to your children. Those who are far off, he's talking about you and me. We're, we're a long way down the spiritual family tree from those folks, okay? As many as the Lord our God shall call, okay? So praying in an unknown tongue privately to God, Okay, how about this? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Y'all get anything out of this? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You feeling some, something stirring inside of you? A little hunger, a little desire? Well, that's good. Let, let's, let's see what it says here uh, about this. It says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Okay? But especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. What's a mystery? Back to Romans 8, right? We pray in a prayer in a language we don't know, haven't learned, in perfect agreement and alignment with the will of God. So if, if something is a mystery, it means we don't understand it. We don't know what it is. But in the Spirit, we can speak mysteries. We can say in an unknown tongue what we do not know how to say in English or a known language. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Yes? I, w- I would say most of the time, yes. Because now I feel like I'm studying this. Like I want to describe something like that. Oh, God, I can see you the answers to the question. I don't know how to ask. Yeah, so there are times when I'm trying to, to, to teach something, and I'm not trying to be cute when I say it, but it's like I could say it in an unknown tongue. But I'm just not going to help anybody. But I, in other words, it, because what are we doing? The words that he speaks are spirit and life. And an and unknown tongues are spirit words so that, you know you get that like man i could just for instance i don't know if we're going to read this verse or not i forgot it in my notes but but the bible says that you can give thanks in a known language or you can give thanks in an unknown language unknown tongue and he who gives thanks in an unknown tongue gives thanks well right have you ever felt like thank you is not enough so here's a classic i think time what you're saying have you ever thought like man i wish i could say something besides just thank you jesus man, thank you jesus thank you jesus okay well you can slip over into an unknown tongue and thank him in a language the language of heaven right tongues of men and of angels you, by the way an unknown tongue not every case but i believe the prayer language part of an unknown tongue it's the it's the mother tongue of our homeland we're, we're speaking we're speaking God's language. He said, it's, remember, though I speak with the tongues of men, right now I'm speaking in, in the tongue of a man. I'm speaking English, okay? Um, and then in the tongues of men and of angels. So when you're spraying in an unknown tongue, angels know exactly what you're saying. It's the language they speak, okay? So when you say, you know, you give thanks in an unknown tongue, he says that, that man or woman gives thanks well. In other words, we, we slipped over into 
where we didn't have English words to communicate it. All right. So, but let me, and I'm not, everybody's experiences are different, but this one is pretty common in, in my own life and a lot of people that I've talked to over, over the years. When you, when you speak and pray in an unknown tongue, it does not come out of your head. It comes out of your belly. And remember Jesus said fountain, river, uh, reverse, plural, that it's, a lot of times there will be almost like pressure in your, in your like you're talking about that stuttering, that yeah, it's like there's, and I'm not trying to be really weird or graphic with this, but there are times even where the Holy Spirit will be operating through me very powerfully and, and it almost no pain, no unpleasant feeling, but it's almost like, uh, 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 I hate to say it, almost like vomiting. It's almost like, oh, it's, you know, it's like, it's like the, um, and that's, that's usually when I'm somewhere by myself, nobody else, and I'm just letting loose, you know what I'm saying? And, and so there's, you know, there's different levels of, when I say levels, I'm not, again, trying to be weird about this. I pray in an unknown tongue in the shower. I pray in an unknown tongue driving down the road. But then there are times where, you know, the old timers say, sometimes you have to pray till you can pray. You know, and they talk about the breaking through and all that stuff. And, and it's, I'm not trying to act like you've got to work something up, okay? But a lot of times we have to kind of shake off some of the distractions and clutter in our minds and all that other stuff to really get dialed in and focused on what the Lord would have for us. But if you've ever had those moments like in worship, uh, you know, or prayer, um, you know, there have been people um, that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit while just teaching the Word of God's going forth, you know, because the Spirit of God is heavy on the Word of God. And all of a sudden, just, you know, boom, just, you know, uh, pray in an unknown tongue. Hiawatha Sheffield, I mention him often. He's a dear friend. He's in heaven. I look forward to seeing him. I dreamed about him the other night. And uh, he's looking good, man. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know if that was just a mental dream or a spiritual dream. But um, but he would like, I think he took this class nine years in a row. And uh, and he would sit there. I'd, I'd look over there at him and he'd be sitting there. I knew exactly what he was doing. He's praying in an unknown tongue while he heard and listened to the Word of God. Um, communing with, fellowshipping with um, the precious Holy Spirit. Okay. So um, notice it's in verse 1 in chapter 14, pursue love. So if you understand the order of things, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. But in 1 Corinthians 12 is where the teaching on the uh, gifts of the Spirit um, begins. But then he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And then he teaches us on love and then growing and maturing. Um, and then he shifts back over in. And so this is what he says. Like, look, you can have all these gifts operating in your life, but if, if there's no love, it's really not going to make any kind of lasting. Let, let's say it this way. It's not going to produce any fruits that's going to remain, right? Um, so he says pursue love uh, and desire spiritual gifts. Uh, I think one place it says earnestly desire them. So the, your desire, what things whoever you desire when you pray, in other words, don't expect to be baptized in the Holy Spirit if you don't desire. You follow what I'm saying? It's got to. It's got to start with a hunger. It's got to start with a desire. It's got to start with something that 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 you're you know wanting to go after in in your life. And here is a really, I think, simple uh, prayer. And for those who are maybe a little nervous about this, a safe prayer. Right? Um, how about this one? And and this was one that my mother um, taught us that the Holy Spirit showed her is that if, you, if you're not sure about it, then how about this? Um, Father, I want everything uh, that you have for me. 
And if the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for me and, it, and, and it's from you, then I desire that. And if speaking in unknown tongues and praying in unknown tongues is from you and it's a gift for me, then I desire that. Okay. Um, and so anyway, let's keep going here. So uh, he who speaks does not speak to men but to God. So a lot of times we have to look at this carefully because obviously Paul is straightening out some error that was in the church. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, in what he's saying here. Notice verse 2, he who speaks to God, uh, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Okay? He speaks to God, all right? And God understands him, even if you don't understand uh, what you're saying, okay? But in the Spirit, uh, he speaks mysteries. Let's keep going here. Uh, verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So if you're not familiar with this word edification or edify, it means to build up. Okay, it means to build up. So if, if you uh, lift weights, what are you doing? You are building up your muscles. Okay, you're exercising them. And they are getting stronger and they are getting bigger. You are building up. You're edifying um, this earthly tent through uh, that type of physical exercise. Well, what he's saying here is that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you build yourself up. As a matter of fact, um, the book of Jude, just one chapter, verse 20, look at this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith... Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about this advantage that the Holy Spirit is in our lives, when we pray, did I take that away too fast? I saw some of you writing and kind of looked like, um, when, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and the advantage that He is in our lives, when we pray in an unknown tongue, we are edifying ourselves. We are building ourselves up. So, I, I taught a series of sermons some years ago, and the title of that sermon series was this, um, built as built up as you want to be, as built up as you want to be. So what, what are we saying? If there is something that I can do to build myself up in, in my holy faith, okay, then I'm as built up as I want to be. Boy, it's getting quiet up in here, right? If there's something I can do to build myself up, then I'm either doing it or I'm not. Me being built up in faith is not dependent upon some other person. Remember, David encouraged himself in the Lord. On one of the darkest days of David's life, when the men closest to him are talking about wanting to kill him, the Bible says he separated himself from them and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Well, we can. how did he do that? He did that by speaking to himself. He did that by quoting the Word of God in the Psalms that, that the Holy Spirit had given him all those years. He, he started talking about what, how it's going to be and this thing's going to turn out, and he turned to God in that moment, okay? So we, we can build ourselves up in the same way, but not just... Listen, I, I encourage you to learn how to encourage yourself in English, but we also can do that in an unknown tongue. If there's something I can do to build myself up, then I am as built up as I want to be okay now let's go to first corinthians chapter 14 verse 14 okay 
He says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. Now notice there's a difference here. There's a difference here between praying and prophesying. Prophesying doesn't mean foretelling the future. Prophesying is talking about the exhortation, uh, the edification, and the comfort. Okay, So when someone has a word from the Lord, uh, Holy Spirit moves upon a person to give a word to the congregation or to an individual, Okay, um, and that person does that in English, that's prophesying. It edifies, it exhorts, uh, encourages, builds up, uh, and comforts. Um, are you with me? Okay. Um, uh, Holy Spirit was ministering through Brother Donald to my mother, and he gave him words to say to her that uh, edified her, exhorted her, and comforted her. Are you with me? When all this went down uh, uh, in, in our family, um, and, uh, you know, as I say, sometimes living on a cursed planet will put you in the gut, okay? A dear, dear friend of mine, he took this class seven or eight times, okay? Graham Bufford, soon be Dr. Bufford, okay? He was sitting in church, and the Holy Spirit came on him so powerfully that he's not even sure he was still conscious. And he took out his phone, and he began to text as fast as he could text, okay? And he sent this prophecy to my family. Sister Cherie, sitting in the back back there. When my mom received this diagnosis, we didn't want to tell a whole bunch of people. First of all, nobody likes to talk about these things, and you shouldn't be talking about these things to just anybody. But she's family. And so I called her, and before I could even finish telling her, she began to prophesy. She began to speak by the Holy Spirit into this situation, into my life, over my mother's life. She prophesied in English. She went into tongues. She went back into English with the interpretation. Okay, gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. So that's different. Okay, so watch this now. Last week when we prayed for sister, we were praying in an unknown tongue. Okay, we are praying in an unknown tongue. That's not the same thing as a public message given in tongues. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? Okay, so let's go back to it. So he says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, so we're talking about something different here. My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So what is he saying here with the understanding with the Spirit? Praying with the Spirit is when you pray with an unknown tongue. And he says, when I'm praying with an unknown tongue, who am I praying to? I'm praying to God. I'm being built up in the process. Words are being spoken that need to be spoken. Okay, But my understanding is unfruitful. Meaning what? Meaning I don't always know. Sometimes I do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell me the interpretation of what it is that I'm praying about or who it is I'm praying for. Not every time. Not even most of the time. Okay, But my spirit is praying. Okay, 
Now, in the in next week, we're going to start. Talk, we're going to get into spirit, soul, and body. And remember, you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. And when my spirit, my born again spirit, now is speaking unhindered, unfettered, it's it's how do I say this? It's bypassing my mind. You, are you following this? Again, these words ain't coming. My, my mind interfaces with my brain. Unknown tongues don't come out of my spirit through my brain out my mouth. They come out of my spirit out my mouth. It's a direct connect. Okay? You with me? I'm not trying to weird you out, but one of my favorite things to do is pray in tongues under my breath and read the Word of God. Okay? Because I'm communing with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking and praying and and. But see, my mind, I, I'm not having to use my mind to think of words to pray. You can't pray in English and read the Bible at the same time. You can pray for a little while, read the Bible, pray for a little while, read the Bible, do it that way. You pray in unknown tongue, you pray in unknown tongue, read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit man just start teaching you, showing, I mean, just stuff start jumping off the page at you. Simultaneously, yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm not trying to freak you out, I just felt led to tell you that, so amen. Amen. It's for you. It's for your children. It's for your children's children. It's for those who are afar off and as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay? So, pray in a tongue. My spirit prays. My understanding is unfruitful. So what are we going to do about this? He said we're going to do both. We're going to pray with the spirit and we're going to pray with the understanding. And then we're going to sing with the spirit. Come on now. See, that's another one. I got lots of favorite things to do when it comes to the Holy Spirit, man. Now, I, I am not, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm, I just need to say good things. So, me and singing, all right, I like, and I like to get out in the big room and do it, you know, out, out there, because just, anyway, just me and the Holy Spirit, right? And just start just wailing at the top of my lungs singing to Him. In an unknown tongue. Amen. It, you know, um, he wrote the music. He wrote the words. We're not talking about Elmo's song, though, okay? We're talking about Holy Ghost song. Amen. Amen. You realize Father sings over you while you sleep at night? Amen. Amen. And he taught me that, he, he taught me that I can sing over you in an unknown tongue. I like to go out there and just... I walk around in front like everybody's out there. Ain't nobody there, right? See, I ain't, I'm not embarrassed to sing when it's just me and him, right? That's what I'm saying. And uh, by singing over you, amen, I sing over you. But, you know, I've had very few visions in my life. But um, the Lord gave me a, a vision of, um, and I don't share this. It's rare that I share this. Um, but I just feel compelled to do it right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, If, if I'm wrong, and I, I know that I'm not, but if I'm wrong, you can just say, well, I just ate too much pizza that night, but I, I know I didn't. Amen. I don't know how long it's going to be, but not too long after we all gather in heaven, we're going to be gathered around our Father's throne. And this was the vision. I didn't see him, I just, but I knew it was him. He stood up. And the song that he has sung over us that our ears have never heard this side of heaven. He's going to open his mouth. He's going to sing. And 
in this dream vision, I'm, I'm, I guess it was a dream because I was asleep. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But he opens his mouth and he sings. And when that song comes out of his mouth, I don't know how to say it other than this. It's going to go right through us. I mean, it's literally going to, I mean, it, it's going to bring another level of transformation. When I say it goes through us, I don't mean it like in a negative way, like a sword runs through you. I mean like whew, through us, praise God. But he sings over you with the, with the language of heaven. And so he's given you and me the opportunity to open our mouths and sing with that same song, that song in heaven, okay? So let me keep going. Praise God. Man, why did I think I could do this in 30 minutes? I don't know what's wrong with me. 1 Corinthians 14, 18, and 19. He says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Okay, now, we're going, we're going to go at least one level deeper right now. And um, <clears throat> remember the verses that we looked at last week where the Bible says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, not words, brings forth good things. And then we said that when the manna was found on the ground, that it was spiritual food, but it had physical substance to it. Buddy? And we said that that food, that manna came from where? It came from the realm of the Spirit. Okay? And then we talked about how fruit comes from inside of a tree out of it. For far too long, the body of Christ has been confused about the fruit of the Spirit in the sense that they're taught as ideals to try to live up to. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's incomplete. The fruit of the Spirit is not something you have to force in your life. If your spirit is healthy and your mind is being renewed, you can't help but love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You cannot stop these things from being produced on the branches of your life reality. Okay, where do those things come from? They come from inside you in the same way fruit comes from inside of a physical fruit tree. Okay, I know we're in mixed company. You do understand that children come from inside of their parents. Seed inside of a man goes from inside of that man to inside of that woman. It combines with an egg that's inside that woman. That child grows inside the womb of that woman until that child comes forth from that woman. All of this, we, we see this in a physical understanding. But remember, everything that we can see physical is a copy of what originated as spiritual. Everything that you can see in the physical realm came from an original spirit realm that you can't see. So when we talk about giving birth, man, that may not be our favorite thing to talk about, but, but we were created to give birth to spiritual things. 
Those of you who've been around here on a Wednesday night, we've been talking about the inward realities of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Paul says, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. In other words, he's talking about what's in them becoming an outward expression through them. Lots more on that in the days to come, not just on Wednesday night, guys, but here in class. So one last verse before we look into what we don't have time, but we're going to make the time for it, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to do fast and we'll finish what we don't have time to do, okay? A good man from the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. So Jesus teaches eight parables back to back to back in Matthew 13. In verse 52, 51, he says, guys, do y'all understand everything I've just told you? They say, yes, sir. Let's go get us something to eat. And Jesus says, oh, do you now understand these things? Because every um, scribe perfectly trained in the things of the kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. Why is that? Because you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because the kingdom of God has been given to you and is in you. Because you have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We're talking about inward realities now of the new birth. So healing is in you. Authority is in you. Answers and wisdom are in you. Love is in you. All these things are in you, in your spirit. Okay? So how do we bring forth those good things? Okay? Right? A good man, a good woman brings forth treasure. You have a treasure in an earthen vessel. How do we bring those things out from the spirit level of our being into the open for everybody to experience and enjoy? Okay? Words, if you haven't figured that out by now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I've got six minutes, okay? And that's cutting it close. So it says this, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Anybody ever heard this verse? Anybody ever heard the verse that comes next? See, a lot of people just leave you hanging right there and they think that this is talking about heaven. That's not what it says. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Sounds like Romans 8 to me, doesn't it? Okay. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. So in the same way that the Spirit in you knows you, the Spirit of God knows God. He knows the heart of God. But where is He living now? He's in you. So the one who knows the heart and mind and will and plans and purposes and gifts of God for you is now in you. Okay? Now, we have received, past tense, not the Spirit of this world, but we have received the Spirit who is from God. Why have we received the Spirit who is from God? We have received the Spirit who is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I got a lot of favorite verses, and number 12 right there is one of my favorites. Okay, let's talk about it for a minute. Now we have received. Okay, we're not waiting to receive it. We have received. Are you seeing this? And we haven't received the Spirit of this world. Spirit of lack, spirit of poverty, spirit of unbelief, spirit of, of rebellion. No, 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 that's not the spirit. We've received the spirit who is from God. And 
we have received the Spirit who is from God so that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What is he saying here? He's saying that you have been given things already. They're yours right now that you don't even know are yours. Things that belong to you that you don't know you have. Things that he's given to you that you don't know are in you. I get stirred up right here now. What things are those? How do we describe those things? Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Not will prepare, has prepared. If I come home from a long day and my wife says, what you want for supper? She hasn't prepared it yet. She's asking me, and more than likely we're going to prepare it together. Compare that to me coming home from supper. You know, she's calling me on the way home. You about here? Yeah, I'm almost there. Okay, I got your favorite supper on the table. It's already prepared. It's waiting for me to show up and eat it. Do you see the difference? So he's saying, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men, your wildest imaginations, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay? So he's saying now that these things are so enormous, these things are of such magnitude that for us to even be able to understand and know about them, it's going to require the Holy Spirit helping us to know. So notice it says, the Spirit who's from God, that we might know. It's not a given. In other words, He's trying to show you, but you've got to give Him some attention and let Him show you what He has for you and what God has given to you. Now watch this. Let me come back over. All right. Now, we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So He's talking about things that we've been given that we don't even know what they are. Right? Yes? How about this now, verse 13, next verse. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, if you're following along closely, okay, he just said that we've been given things that we don't know anything about, things that belong to us that we don't know are ours, things that we've been given that we don't know we have, and these things we also speak. How, how, how do I speak gifts and blessings and benefits that I don't know are mine? How am I going to speak those things? The one who does know, the Holy Spirit, He's going to allow me and enable me to speak those things not in words which man's wisdom teaches. Not with language you learn this side of heaven. Right? What are these words which man's wisdom doesn't teach? Okay? He says words which the Holy Spirit teaches. Words which the Holy Spirit gives to us. This is how we speak. Remember, the answer has to be spoken. Right? So when you pray in an unknown tongue, part of what you're doing is you're speaking things into your life that are yours already that you don't even know are yours to even dare believe God or ask Him for. And yet in tongues, in unknown tongues, you're confessing those things. You're speaking those things out of your mouth. If God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, that means He's given you every car that you will ever need, every house that you will ever need, every pair of shoes that you'll ever need, every tire for every car that you'll ever have or need, everything that pertains to life and godliness, God has already freely given it to you. You have no idea, I have no idea, all that He's given to me, all that He's already put in me. I do know this, that I have in me anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. 
How do I bring it from inside of me out of me? How do I even know about it to, to, to bring it from inside of me out of me? By speaking words which the Holy Spirit teaches. Now this one phrase, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, it stomped me for many years. Until the Holy Spirit told me, look it up one more time. And this word comparing doesn't mean to compare one thing to the other. It also means or literally means composing. When you compose something, that means to form the substance of that thing. See, what's in you right now in spirit form, right? We need in our life reality in substantial form. You can't drive a spirit car. Okay? You need a car with some substance to it to get behind the wheel of it. That car is in you. You can go out of here shaking your head saying that man's lost his mind and you'll find out one day in heaven not only were, was a car in you, cars, plural, are in you and nice ones. How do we bring it from inside of us, in, from spirit blessing, to outside of us to something physical that we can drive, share, give away, do something with? Okay? Compose means to form the substance of. So he says we are forming the substance of spiritual things by using spiritual words the Holy Spirit teaches. You're bringing it from inside you in spirit form, outside of you in substantial form. The Lord's told me something about that that's going to happen one day. and There's a certain place that he's put it on my heart to be able to teach that one day, and I'm, I'm excited about doing it. So, But I just thought about that. So if you have questions, write them down. We'll get to them, I promise you. Father, thank you for the precious advantage of the Holy Spirit in us, among us, through us, upon us. Thank you for the gifts that He's already given to us. Gifts from you, Father. Gifts from Jesus. Gifts from the Holy Spirit. Man, y'all are a given, given bunch. Thank you for teaching us. I love what Brother Donald says. You, you are generous with your glory. You lavish it upon us. Your goodness, Lord. Your goodness to us. Teach us how, Lord, to bring things from the spirit realm into the physical realm in our lives. Teach us how to enjoy and experience what belongs to us as your precious children. Father, may we not run from, be intimidated by, or scared of your precious Holy Spirit, but may we learn to yield to him. Cooperate with him. You sent us help. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you even to help us know how to work together with you so you can help us more. In Jesus' name, amen. You're loved. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for good things um, in, uh, in your life. And thank the Lord for good things in mine. And uh, amen. Be blessed.